And welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. Um, we're going to start with the news as always. It's a short news week uh, this week, and I keep saying, uh. uh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And I'm an idiot. Anyway, the at that wolf- moment, a thunderous roar appeared. <laughs> anyway, the Wallflowers. <laughs> Wallflowers are doing a new record. Um, the first single was just released. Uh, reboot the mission. We heard. We, we listened to this earlier. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I yeah, liked it. It was very different. The very interesting thing about this album is that they have a member of the Clash playing with them, which I think is fantastic. It's just been so long since their last record. The last record didn't come out. It came out in two thousand five. So it's been a long time since they put out something. New. A lot of bands, though. Yeah, they do. They drop off and then come back. Especially uh, the 90s bands. Yeah. Because E6 did the same thing, actually. They forgot what they were doing because... Or they all broke the, up. Or the music stopped being played, and they're like, well, if I keep making the same stuff, will they like it? And they were like, uh, no, try something new. Go. But yeah, Reboot the Mission had a nice sound. It was different. It, was, it sounds nothing like their biggest hit one headlight. Like, it's so jarringly different, but I think in a good way. I really, I really liked it. I thought it had a catchy beat. I think I, I'm looking forward to what the new album might hold. Uh, yeah, and having Mick Jones, uh, former guitarist of The Clash, uh, is pretty awesome because I, I loved The Clash growing up. They yeah. were fun. They're a fantastic band. And, and uh, he's a big talent. And I feel like he's going to mesh well with the kind of wallflower sound uh, that was in their single. Um, and also, I like how they're, they're, they're trying to be a little more adult about this music. Mm-hmm. They are, they're saying that it's going to be a rock song album with a little bit of dance without actually crossing over too much. They're trying to go a little bit poppy with their music, right? but they're, they're not going the distance, right? which is respectable because they are adapting to times, but it's also really nice that they're like, uh, yeah, we know what you guys like, but we're not going to, we're, we're going to give you a little bit of, we're not just going to sell out like well, if you go some back, others. If you go back and listen to their original record, I mean, especially with like, I'll say it again, One Headlight, which was their bit, one of their most well-known songs, it's very angsty teenage I'm the son of Bob Dylan living in his shadow kind of music, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that was almost You know, 10 Jacob years ago. makes it clear that, you know, he likes music and he wants to record, but this was it was a very angsty record. It was very clear that it was a record that he was growing up while recording this music. I think this new album is going to be, hey, I'm an adult now, I'm going to act like one, you know, and it'll be interesting to see that kind of development. Our second uh, story, our second and last story this week, uh, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, is doing a solo album. It's actually an EP called Helen Burns. And it's looking like it's going to be a Carlos Carlos Santana-style record. He's going to play bass, he has put a band together, and he's going to have other artists come on and do the vocals for it. Um, it. I don't know if he's definitely singing or not, but I know that he has different artists like Patti Smith is going to contribute to this album, which I think is incredible. That's... That's a, t- a talent powerhouse, and I think that'll be interesting to see mixed with his his style of bass playing, especially considering it's clear that Flea has that kind of funk influence, you know, especially when you listen to certain Chili Peppers tracks. So this is more a topic of interest to me, because Flea we'll be hearing more on later when we discuss our perfect band, or blending band. Yeah, I think yeah dream band. He's in at yeah. least one of them. Yep. <laughs> so. Well, he's always been a good bassist. Um, and I'm interested in the work he does, too. He writes. Like Danny California, yeah. the more recent Red Hot, you could really hear the funk, like you were saying oh, before. Oh, yeah, definitely in Stadium Arcadium. But what's really cool, he's doing this entire EP to benefit 
the Silver Lake Conservatory, uh, Conservatory, Conservatory? Yeah, Conservatory. conservatory. In the, I know, you've heard of One of those, of Music, which is a non-profit organization he co-founded in 01, uh, which is based in L.A., and it educates L.A. youth about music. It's, it's this... That's great. This album is full-fledged, I'm trying to help people. This it's is a gonna, charity project. Yeah, it's total non-profit. That's great. I love that. I love that. I think that's brilliant. And I think that putting himself out there, I mean, you can get pretty hurt putting yourself out there to do a solo EP and then say you're doing it for a specific organization. But well, even th- if it stinks, I mean... It's, it's going to sell. Yeah, but it's like, it's not he's doing a solo career because he's dissatisfied with being in Red Hot. Yeah. He's doing this solo thing because he has a cause and he wants to do something for them. And, and he's found his, it, it's his outlet. This yeah. is how he helps people. Um, and it's, I mean, like the big thing, it's, they have to know it's not a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. It's a Flea album. It's going to be very instrumental, very music, not really lyric. So don't 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 expect Dream of Californication. It's also for a benefit, and artists generally do not do their best work for benefits. They do experimental things, um, interesting things. It's a venue for them to do that, yeah, because yeah. yeah. no one's judging them too harshly. It's about the money that's going in. Yeah. Well, he said actually on Twitter that, warning, it's not a Red Hot Chili Peppers record. <laughs> you know, he wants people to know he's going to go his own route. He's going to try something new. So don't buy this and expect to get Red Hot Chili Peppers. Because that's, he's not the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's Flea. You know, he's going to do something different. So it should be interesting. De- definitely worth listening to. And we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast when it comes out. I wonder if there'll be any comparison to Les Claypool when he decided to break away from Primus and do his own thing. And it do might, his solo it albums, might be. Which was so different from the Primus. Oh, stuff. yeah. I don't know. Could, there, there could be. I mean, I can that, see that. That inner bassist voice just yearning to break free yeah. and be creative. I mean, there aren't a lot of lead bassists that you think of. But Les Claypool and, and, and Flea are definitely up there. They're some of the more famous, well-known bassists. Especially more modernish music, for sure. Yes, big time. Yeah, big time. Uh, I'm searching my mind for someone else, and yeah. I can't think, think of, of any bases yeah. that really hit. Well, he's your headliner. Uh, no, it's it's always going to be the singer. Besides Cliff from Metallica, but he was yeah. cut short. He recorded a couple albums and then was killed. He was a big. He would have. He would have been up there with those bases if he hadn't died. I think. But, um, alright, well, let's get on to our album review. And speaking of something that's completely different, Maroon 5. Yes, yeah, so our album yeah. review this week is Maroon 5, their new album, Overexposed. Um, it was my choice, mostly because I'm a Maroon 5 fan, I've liked their music for a while, but it was something so radically different than what we've reviewed before, and this is one of the first albums where all three members of the podcast... Go is going into the the review with preconceived notions. We've all heard Maroon 5, we know what they're capable of, the talent, so... And none of us heard it beforehand, and I'm a little happy. Except Payphone. Except, except for Payphone. Except Payphone. Which the, the single off the album. I, I, I was so happy I'm only going to have to hear this album once. Because it was so... Okay. Not terrible. <laughs> not terrible. Terrible and awful are not descriptive words. No, it's Let's not terrible. It's not awful. It was so... Disjointed. Exactly. It's so ununified. So all over the place. It's overproduced. I don't even think... No, I think it was underproduced. Oh, I think no. that the producer phoned this in because there was so much uh, synth in this album that it really hurt what they were trying to do. And there was a few songs in there that sh- 
really stood out. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid that the few songs that stood out as really actually good songs, I only thought because of the songs around it, the tracks around it. We're just so much bad, so much worse. Yeah, I can now wake up and get impassioned because I loved early Bruin Five. Even you know, it's not even like right up my alley necessarily, but it 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 went past that barrier. It, it was resonated. able to plunge through because it was original and it was gen- generally likable, danceable. You can get into it. Um, very easygoing music. You can right. Just put it on the car. You can put it on by the beach. I feel like. It was that safe band, kind of like, uh, right. kind of like really hot Red Hot Chili Peppers in the day, right? Yeah. Um, it, well, like I said before, it was more like they evolved from the Beach Boys, and it was the next generation of that surfer music, of that you know hanging out, gro- yeah, grilling good. some barbecue. I, I, think, I think it was important for that time because it was you know you, I, know, I, you need to have a good time at some point. Yeah, right? and that's that that was you know the what the Beach Boys did. That's what they gave us, and I think Maroon Five early stuff was what it evolved into for the nineties. Right. And this, this is, eh. my clear, my clearest problem with this record, and I said several times when we were listening to it, is that there are a handful of tracks that sound like Maroon 5, sounds like there was a band, sounds like that there was the, it was, sounded like old school Maroon 5, or something influenced by it. However, to me, the first half of the record, for sure songs like Daylight, sound like Adam Levine, the lead singer, wanted to make a solo record. Because it was reminiscent to me of Rob Thomas's solo record. Rob Thomas's solo record. Robert Tom- Rob Thomas, if you don't know, is the lead singer of Matchbox 20. When he released his first solo record, the first single was a very high drum and bass pop kind of dance song. And I was surprised because Matchbox 20 didn't make that kind of music. But it made sense because most artists, when they go, if they go in a pop direction and they go solo, it's much easier to create a very computer-influenced um, synth backup kind of pop computer created music and this album reminds me of that because it a lot of it sounds like adam levine just decided hey i'm gonna make a record and then i'll include the band on some of the tracks and that was my biggest one of my biggest problems let me be clear on something i never expected maroon 5 to be particularly groundbreaking band Mm -hmm. i never expected that you know the next album of theirs to be the be all end all of humanity or anything it was it was I expected it to hold up the same standard as Songs for Jane. Yeah. I expected it to be fun, likable, and fairly original. And yeah. the first half of this album, all the way up to about track eight, I saw none of that. Yeah. It was complete generic pop. Everything looped. Everything uh, monotonous. You follow me. It yeah. was it was a soundtrack you could have got on one of your old school play uh, keyboards. Where you yeah. just hit the button and it goes... That was the beat. It was it was so simple. There was nothing to the actual music. Nothing to the yeah. instruments. It was soulless. Yes. It was vacant. Yes. And what, I think that's what upsets me more about the fact that there are songs later in the album that weren't soulless and felt like Maroon 5, or at least showcased Adam's talent. Because at least if the whole album was consistently garbage pop, we chalk it up as a garbage pop band. Okay, you know, it's a garbage pop record. If you like that kind of stuff, pick it up. But the fact that I'm so disappointed because they still show that they have the potential to do more and didn't do it. And that's just why I feel this isn't an album at all. This is a compilation of their work. This is a compilation of what they can do, which it is kind of what is so frustrating about it. Because we see what they can do. There are definite elements, which we're going to get into later, definite tracks on the latter half of this album, which basically illuminate a direction 
that I would like to see Maroon Five go in. Mm-hmm. But, but they're yeah. just alone. They're just they're just hanging there. Yeah, no they man's don't land. fit to the, com- they don't, the composition of the record at all. They don't imply that they're going in that direction, and the album certainly doesn't imply that they're going in that direction. Correct. I think that uh, it's more like. They wanted to get on the bandwagon with like dubstep's new popularity, with uh, the the newer version of pop that people like Lady Gaga are really making very popular. Because you I definitely think too. you definitely heard Skrillex mixing some of these beats. You definitely heard um, uh, like Keisha influenced beats and well, that's what sounds. I had said about tickets K- specifically. Keisha, 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 one of them. <laughs> that the is do- the three of us. K E dollar sign. <sighs> Hey, yeah, actually, um, that's the more. But accurate. no, but to go into more specific songs, that's exactly how I felt, and didn't why I didn't like tickets. Tickets sounded like generic pop song X. It didn't have any. At least the earlier songs, while they felt kind of soulless, there was still that kind of layering that Maroon Five is known for. So there was at least some kind of complexity to it. But but tickets, it sounded like one continuous sound through the whole song, and a single sound. There was no variety at all. I don't know why I said variety that way, and. I just, I, I couldn't stand it. And I like my fair share of crappy pop music. But that song just, it, I don't know, I, I think because it was so out of left field. Well, there was three songs, which I think we're all three were in a row. I know two of them were Lucky Stripes, The Man Who Never Lied. It was and Lucky Over- Strike. Oh, Lucky Strike? Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't even get that right. Like the cigarette. The, yes. the man who that never, they no longer make. The Man Who Never Lied and Overexposed, it was the same exact beat. Like, Throughout all one the had, One had Wub Wub. One had swooping noises, and there was a little bit of piano with the swooping noises in the third. The and man it was... who never lied. Let me just interject here. Gets my vote as my most hated track, <laughs> the worst track on the. Yes, album. I, mean, I would second that. It was surrounded by number two and number three worst tracks on the, yeah. On the yeah, album. Yeah, that, that that is the point where I really was fearing <laughs> where this was going to go because we hadn't heard anything, you know, like we heard in the latter half of the and, album. And then we heard. Point. And then was Fortune Teller, which was a turning point for the album. Yeah. Fortune yes. Teller was one of the first that really was, great songs. They did something different with the beats. They made it. It ro- ro- rose and fell better. It didn't just have this kind of streamline through it. It actually had peaks and valleys. You know, I'm actually going to uh, challenge that just by saying that track seven was perhaps the first track that offered a little bit of promise. Which one? For, uh, that oh, was that Lady was... Killer, right? Yes. Yeah, Lady Killer also is, is very different. reason is because they changed up the vocals. He sang very differently. Yeah. I, I mean, um, Adam Levine has this kind of style where, you know, he sings kind of high, has this kind it, of it's melody. Thing. It was original for its time. Yeah, and when and it, it came out, low. no one had ever heard anything like it. Yeah. But the sad thing is that he's been doing that for about three albums in a row. Right. And you can't I mean, deny his singing talent. Uh, of course not. People do pay to hear that. Yeah. But it does wear on you because oh, it's so distinctive. Yes. That if you hear it over and over and over again, you know, you, you want a little bit more variety. And right. that track offered it. Yes. I'm not saying it was an amazing song, particularly. But it just, it, it was the first thing on the whole record to offer something different. Exactly. But one of the tracks that stood out the most for me before we got to the tail end was Sad. Sad yes. was exactly that. It was a sad piano song that I felt my chest welling up listening to. There was passion behind it. You felt the emotion. He sang a little differently on it. And it was just a standard vocal and piano track. And it was beautiful. There was, it was uncomplicated, like mm-hmm. the previous tracks. Yes. They didn't, they didn't bother doing any beats or anything like that. It was a guy sitting at the piano singing. And that is admirable. And it really, the song was, was great. And that said, for the minimalism of simply having, you know, vocals and piano, I actually heard a lot of complexity within that. The, yeah, it was a very, very complex... It, it drew me in, the song structure. 
And after that, you got back to the uh, electronica, which was not very good. You heard a lot of Daft Punk. We kept we kept hearing that. We did hear a lot of Daft Punk. It but then like you got back. Off at certain moments. And then and then all of a sudden, we had beautiful goodbye. Where me and John at the same time went, the band's here! Because the whole record, it sounded like it was not made by a computer. And then all of a sudden we heard guitars. It sounded like a Beach Boy kind of style song. You know, we had this kind of feel that it was sounded like songs from Jane. And that track gets my vote as favorite song on the it album. It was the, by easily, far the best easily, song Even, on the even though perhaps Sad, I, I, which uh, easily gets my second favorite. Mm-hmm. Sad offered a lot in the way of complexity, offered a lot in the way of... Uh, in the way of meaningful lyrics, right? Emotion. Just general emotion, tone, exactly, right? Still, that is not entirely Maroon Five. Most creative, most out of the out of the box. But Maroon Five, as I know it, as I love, is easily beautiful goodbye. That's why it gets my favorite vote. That's what I want to hear. That's yeah. what I want to hear out of Maroon Five album. And that's the song that I think made me so disappointed with the record, is because you know, listening to the whole record, you hear all these generic. You know, dance beats, and I'm like, all right, whatever, it's it's all right. And then I heard this song, Beautiful Goodbye, and I got upset because it's so good. And why wasn't the rest of the record like that? It, there's no reason why it couldn't be. There was no humanity in the rest of the record. There's right. there's five songs. <laughs> the, the, the whole record should have been a five-song EP for Maroon 5 and a ten-song Adam doing a solo career. Because yeah. that's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Fortune Teller was good, Sad was great, and Beautiful Goodbye was amazing. Wipe Your Eyes and Wasted Years, which immediately followed Beautiful Goodbye, was also more... It was different than your standard Maroon 5, but it felt like the band was playing again. And it was nice to hear that. But with those five al- uh, five songs, you could have done an EP. That would have been enough to do Maroon 5 EP. And EPs also, they're not judged as closely for, for a continuous arc throughout. Right. Yes. They are, and it's always have been, B-sides. Yeah, they're a collection yeah. of songs usually. And Just, it, that's it. They would have worked. It would have been great. Yeah. And it would have, you would have enjoyed it. Instead, we got a 16-track EP, which kind of defeats the purpose. It hurt my feelings. Like, yeah. how, how much they, they, they ignored the band. How bad, it, I don't know if it was the guys, the band that produced it, if it was producers mixing all this stuff. I don't know who decided to use a standard beatbox, but it really didn't do justice. Because we had Fortune Teller, a little more instrumental. Wipe Your Eyes was really instrumental by comparison. Wipe Your Eyes yeah. had a lot of power to it. Yes. I really, really enjoyed the drums in that. It, it, it definitely was not vacant. It had something yeah. to it. Yeah. And Say- yet, had they done the rest of the songs with that kind of a take instead of relying on a synthesizer to do all of their music for that album, I think the whole album would have come together so much better. Right, but bear in mind, all these tracks that we're promoting here are all at the end of the album. This, yeah. this, this is under the presumption that you're going to be able to get through tracks. <laughs> yeah, 12, 13, 14. I would highly recommend this album to be downloaded on iTunes. Definitely, because there are songs worth getting. But as a whole... I don't know if it would get my Download, yeah. Preview, then pay. Yeah. I, I think that... Also, Wasted Years also really was a great track because they did something different. There was... That me and Steve would have wanted more of, but there were horns in it that sounded really uh, good. It was, they were it great. It was two or three beautiful moments. It was the same thing, and they each lasted two seconds. Yeah. It was introduced, so much more of it. It essentially introduced it, the verses. It was almost like they were throwing a little bit of ska, and I love ska, mm-hmm. and I think Maroon 5, yeah, if they that. wanted to meld their pop sound with a little bit of Less Than Jake, I think they could do it great. 
Sure. Or at least passably okay that would blow the pants off of this album. I don't know if I see Link, Listen Jake particularly, but I see oh, your point. Well, maybe a little bit of the horns you get in, like, Bowling for Soup. To be honest, when I heard the horns, I was hearing, like, 30 swing. It, well, which is very... It, it's Scott adapted. Yeah, I know they adopted that, but two different, very styles. Just because yeah. they're yeah, the same they, instruments does not mean it's the same style. Well, there was a... You also heard a lot of jazz in this album. There was... Not jazz. Uh, a lot blues. of blues in this album. Um, especially... Well, not a lot of blues, but yes, especially track 15. Yeah. Kiss Ugh. was a cover they did of, of course, Prince's song Kiss, which is a, a very popular pop R&B track. Um, I guess more pop than R&B, but it's got that heavy beat. Sure, it's, it's 80s pop yeah. with a R&B twinge, which, which is Prince in a nutshell. Right. But here, the route that they took with it is they just decided, what the hell, let's do a blues track. And a basic and not blues e- not track. Even a, yeah, a yeah. very basic, generic blues track. And I, I didn't really like it. Like, at first, I, I wanted to like it. I really wanted to like it because they were trying something I know, different. I know, I saw the glee on your face. You, but, you heard something different, and then... And then um, it just crashed and burnt. My problem yeah. with it is if, if they had done an original track in that style, I think it would have carried a little more weight. The fact that they took a song that, in its original form, was would have complemented their new kind of pop synth style better than a blues track. Like, if they had done it more in the style of Daylight, I think that would have worked for Kiss. But the fact that they did it in this kind of blues and very generic uh, blues. Uh, the sad thing, throughout this track, oh, and I have to say, this the, track went on for quite, quite a while. while. Well, the original this was track the longest was seven track, minutes. The original track is seven minutes, and so was this, seven minutes. But it's not seven minutes of pop, which actually is kind of impressive for pop, to be honest. So yeah. go Prince in that regard. This is seven tracks of the most repetitive blues structures that I've ever heard, to be honest. The sad thing is that for the most, like maybe about halfway through, I thought that I was stuck at some sort of blues bar in the Midwest, late at night, waiting for a ride that wasn't coming, and I was listening to an amateur band that probably gets about 15 bucks after doing this gig, and then they go back and drink the rest of the night. This is the impression that I got. From this track. Sorry if that sounds a little harsh. I, no, it I felt like... I, I was, it doesn't belong. It feels very misplaced, and it doesn't feel... And it's way too long. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, I, uh, it I, felt never really. If, if, if they had done a cover and cut it down, and made the track like three minutes, I think we all would have tolerated it a lot more. I'm not even going to trash the blues here. It's just the fact that this sounds like, like all they knew of the blues was that... Extended. It was very juvenile. Yeah. It was very juvenile, and it was very... Blues 101. Shorted, yeah. It was short-sighted. Not shorted. Short-sighted. Yeah. And I, then, just to top it all off, where does that fit with Maroon 5? Yeah. Where does that fit on the album? Where does that fit with the, uh... With, um, Wasted... Wasted Youth, was it? Wasted, wasted Years. Wasted, wasted years. years. That was the track that came right before it. Mm-hmm. And that track... Even though it wasn't purely Maroon 5, it had sort of a Jason mraz twinge to it. Right. Which, you I know, mean, is all in that same pop universe. Yeah, the pop universe, a very upbeat, eh, kind of kidding to teeny boppers a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. still, like, I don't see that crowd listening to the blues. Yeah. Not to say that they shouldn't, but there's just no connection there whatsoever. It's just from that track into into Kiss. I, I, I really like it. And then Kiss went into, it was a bonus track. Um, a song that had come out before the album did. Yeah, that went into um, a trance mo- dance mo- tune. Mo- yeah. Moves Like Jagger, which felt more like their second record. Moves Like Jagger honestly set incorrect expectations, especially for me as a Maroon 5 fan. I heard this song about, I don't know, six months ago, maybe more, that, that song came out, maybe even a year ago. And Moves Like Jagger sounded like, you know, mid, mid-range Maroon 5, like their second album. And I was like, okay, I can listen to an album of this. 
And then we get this album that was just so much more synth, so much less soul. I was honestly disappointed. Like, I thought that Moves Like Jagger was setting the tone for the upcoming album. But it turns out it's not included on the standard album. I, I have the deluxe version. That's why that song was included. Along with alternate versions of Payphone, which we haven't even talked about. Because Payphone... Yeah, and that was my first impression of this album. Because that's Payphone. what I heard as a single. Yeah. And, and that's the second track. So, I mean... You can't really look too deeply into it, because you get that sound pretty early on, and then it just departs in 50 million different ways. The problem there. with Payphone is that it's your standard pop song, obligatory single, and it had that disjointed, unnecessary, necessary rap bit. And I, I don't... I love rap. I love no, rap I, in I, certain forms. I, I feel it has its place, and there, it has its place even in pop music. You know, a lot of artists have used it properly, uh, um, rap and reggae, like... No doubt have had their ups and downs, but the way they incorporate well, reggae... The if it's rap, it's not obligatory. You right. expect it. But in pop, I really don't think... I think it's apples and oranges, really, and they just decide to throw that in there. And I don't see what it's supposed to accomplish. It doesn't know. fit with the music at all. It would have made more sense if they had that kind of, um, that kind of rap bit on... What was it? Um, I think it was Fortune Teller. One of them had a much slower bass line and had a... Kind of a R&B feel, including rap in that song would have been much much better. It would have fit the style more. You know what it reminds me of? Remember that '80s song "Forever Young"? Of course, which was used at every single prom. Yeah, you know, yeah for, of years course, and for years sure. and years. Well, then recently, I forget which rap artist decided to remix it, but they did a song "Young Forever," right. which is the whole entire like they just used the chorus from the original yeah. song, but then all the verses don't exist, right. and they're overdubbed by this rap artist, right? right. And it's just that real force rap forcing itself into yeah. other genres, which I think I really resent, you know? I believe in mixing, and I believe that you can put rap in a pop song and make it work. The problem is, it's not always done well. And that's what I think the problem is. Because I, I, can, I can't think of any off the top of my head now, but there are pop songs that have included rap that sounded alright. It's just, it depends on the song. And the problem is, in Payphone, Payphone has this certain vibe, and that song, it just didn't feel like it belonged. Because I'm a fan of hip-hop, but that just felt like it was just shoved in to get, get this rap artist on the album. I, I'm a I'm a, probably a bigger, better fan of hip-hop than you and uh, rap than you. Yeah, yeah, I listen to more guys than you do. That's not true. Oh. Uh, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but had they done an album with like three or four or five different songs with rap interfused with it, and they got someone like Jay-Z or whoever to like collaborate with it, that would have made more sense for that little bit. And I think if they had somebody collaborating with it, they probably would have got it mixed better. But I think there was so much bad in this album. And it's not just this song did this, this song did that. There was just an overall motif of we just have a rhythm machine. He's gonna, Adam's going to sing to it, and eventually the band will come up with their own music separate from him. But when I, it comes right down to it, I agree. Like As far as I'm concerned, even the inclusion of... of rap in payphone is not the real failure of this album it's just the fact that that's another very random genre that you're throwing on in here with a lot a lot of other random genres there's no continuity here in the slightest and they're not even trying to 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 do the genre the right way it's like they heard their pop song and they're like whoa oh oh wait you know what people like 
uh, they like they like a little hip hop. You know who's yeah. big right now? Lady Gaga. You know, and and they like got schizophrenic about the whole idea in their album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just a little disclaimer here: I'm not trying to curtail creativity or anything like that. I mean, you know, this Adam Adam Levine uh, Levine Adam Levine can can go hog wild with his experimentation on the side. And as uh, John made the point, you can do it very easily on EPs that can exhibit what you're able to do. And but albums need to be solid in some form. You can take any direction you want, but you need to be a little bit, you know, you need to have direction. That's what you need. We said before, time and time again on this podcast, that albums either are an arc that follows a similar pattern or similar style, or it's completely disjointed from beginning to end, but every track is different. The problem with this record, like... Lincoln Park is it feels like two records that were mushed together, but even still, this feels like it was three or four records mushed oh, together. Totally, it, and that's the problem is that it's dis, it's it's disjointed enough that it doesn't feel you don't feel the arc, but it's not disjointed enough that you feel that it's yeah, this weird experimentation experience. You have the, walking this little middle ground. Yeah, you yes. have a block of electronica. You have a block of. Uh, uh, dubstep. You have a block of Gaga pop. You don't have it spread out. And even towards the end, you have a block of Maroon 5 right at the end. And it's all awesome. But it was just so poorly mixed. Especially that by the end of the album, you don't even remember what the beginning was. Because yeah. you've heard so many different things. Along we had a replay of the intro half the songs. Yeah. Just to get it. So, okay. What did you think? Um, I... As a Maroon 5 fan, I'd listen to it, but it's definitely at the bottom of my favorites for for albums. I would definitely give it a 2 out of 5 for me. I wouldn't even give it a 2 out of 5. This is a this is a 1.5. Had we had the 5 actual Maroon 5 songs, the 6 Maroon 5 songs as an EP, that would have gotten 3, 4 out of 5 stars. But there's just so much clutter in this album... That you cannot even, as a whole, you cannot judge it anywhere near good. It is a one-star album at best. Oh, I want to agree with you there, but I suppose I do try to look for the moments within the madness. And because of those moments, I gotta hike it up a little bit. Granted, we already said, and I agree completely, that it gets no points for arc whatsoever. And arc really is important, but... I'm going to have to at least give it a two. At least a yeah. two, just because there is definitely enough here to say that if he wanted to succeed, he could have. I just don't appreciate or care for the direction that he chose. I agree. Um, so an average of one and a half. But I think that I, what fascinates me about this album review for, for me as a podcaster and as a fan of music is that for the three of us specifically, like I said earlier... Other albums we've reviewed, either it was on recommendation of another member of the podcast, or it was something that we just walked into with zero expectations, but because we expected something from this, we all know the talent that Adam has, we expected something... We know they can make music. <laughs> so they that's... Can. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of a laughing moment here. What's the album's name? <laughs> Overexposed. Oh, it was Overexposed. The... Yeah, it was you're very swo- right. The Swooping Piano Song. Honestly, it was named because appropriately. Because I, I wanted to like look for some kind of arc throughout, maybe due to the Ma- title. Maybe they I, did it on purpose, but I don't think that they generated that kind of irony on purpose. And here's, here's, the, worst, here's the worst part, I think, about this album. 
This album got really good reviews. Not perfect, but they got a lot of three yeah. and four stars reviews. From other sites we And it makes name. me kind of sad that this album... Did you read any of the like reviews specifically? Like the like, uh, I need no, to no, know they the liked details. it. They liked the whole album. Like a lot of people were pointing... They pointed out some of the songs, same sort of songs we did, but they kind of glossed over the production of a lot of the other songs. And it was kind of disheartening that this album, which is a really, I want to say mainstream by comparison to what you see on 92.3 or uh, Z100 in the New York area, is just so high marks in certain circles and you're just, why? Why did people like this? Sometimes you wonder if reviewers are listening to the album to just promote the band because they don't want to step on toes. And I don't understand that kind of reviewing. Then you're not a reviewer, you're a fan. And that's it. Or you're a kiss-ass. But on the same side, um, other bands in other genres who have made a, who've released a few albums are getting the same sort of remarks that we would actually give them. Yeah. But those are going to be the rock and the, pop, and the punk guys. But it, it's weird because it looks like pop has sort of got, you know... It's who pays the most money and like... No, no, I wouldn't say that, but it's look, it looks like pop is kind of getting... Oh, it's it's pop. It's okay. You just give them an extra star and a half to start with. Yeah. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Even if it isn't, you know, that good. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a terrible theme that seems to be going on. Look at some of the, the, the people that we kind of blame for bad music nowadays. Um, and the rating they get on their albums. I'm not going to name names, but I could name a lot. And At a later date, we'll name names. Yeah, we'll definitely. <laughs> and these albums get rave reviews, and I know so many people do, in fact, like them. But they're not music. There's a difference. They're talking. There's a difference between liking music and music being good. Like, I like a lot of music. But I'll be the first person to say it, and I'm going to drop a name. Nickelback plays basic, boring, not good music. Yes. But I eat it up. Yes. I love it. <laughs> but I admit, it's not complicated. It's not that great. Chad Kroger can write. He is talented, and he showcased it on an occasion. But as a band, they're not great. But I still like it, and I recognize that it's not good, but I enjoy it. And that's fine. I early, respect that. I early Blink that. is and the same exact way. They have very basic lyrics. Exactly. Terrible guitar and bass work. I'm going to agree with that. I even, love Even them. though Blink evolved. Yeah. Yes. And I they got better. I that Blink genuinely evolved. I really do. So, But I just... and I, But I don't think a lot of people can do that. I feel like people can't make that separation. I do that with movies, too. I can recognize that Crank 2, starring Jason Statham... Was a terrible movie, but it was fun. But it was fun, it was and I so enjoyed much it. fun. And I just, I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. But a lot of people can't make that disconnect. They just assume if something's bad that you can't enjoy it, or if you if don't she, enjoy it, it's bad. Right. Like last week, as tall as lines. I did not like the album. I'm not going to enjoy the album. But it was incredibly well composed. Mm-hmm. Stuff nowadays, okay, it's poppy. It gets in your head. Uh. You could go back as far as like when Britney Spears first came out, mm-hmm. or even as, if you really want to go back, some of Madonna's middle years when she well, wasn't really doing the best stuff she did. That's just the thing. Pop goes after what is most easy to digest, ultimately. Yeah, because that's, that's what's popular at the time. But they get yeah. it gives me heartburn. <laughs> I <Of> can't. Course. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's difficult to deal with. I, th- I think we'll get more into the, the range of pop as we discuss stuff in the future. Like, I have future plans to do, you know, retro album reviews and old talk about older musicians, even maybe do a full podcast on musicians. And, and I think we can get into that in more detail. But, I mean, Steve said it to me earlier off the air. Pop music is just that. It's what's popular. But what's popular isn't always the same. It changes. Well, okay. If you were going to make music today, if you could choose who to make music today, uh, we'll get into what we were going to do anyway. What is your perfect band? If you had to make a, a, a rock band, a rap band, uh, any genre, punk, alternative, and I know that's going to be what you're going to be looking at anyway, who is your perfect band? Right. This is a concept that we had mentioned, I think, in passing in one of the earlier episodes, but something I'd wanted to do for a while, because I've thought about it a long time. What, what got me started about thinking of this concept of the dream band is um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I said, you know, there's one artist that I'm really upset that I'll never get to see, and that's Freddie Mercury of Queen. So apparently my, uh, my virus database updated, if you were able to hear that, which is fantastic. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, about what would be my dream band. And, and I still say and stick by that Freddie Mercury's got a range and a vocal style that is unparalleled and unmatched. So to kind of actually bring it together, my dream band would consist of these people. My singer, hands down, Freddie Mercury. He's my favorite. I love him. My rhythm guitar would be Angus Young of ACDC. Schoolboy outfit and all. My, um, <laughs> lead gu- my lead guitarist would be Joe Perry from Aerosmith. Because he had kind of fallen into the back recesses of my brain until we watched that video last week. And I was like, oh yeah, Joe Perry's awesome. Yeah, plus it, he also does backup vocals, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. And then my bassist, bringing it around to what we're talking about in the news, Flea. I think Flea is very versatile as a bassist. He's one of those bassists that I feel can lead a track on a song. You know, he's he's just does so many different kind of styles. And then my final drummer. My drummer was tough because I know a lot of drummers. I mean, I know way about more about music than I should, and I break down bands very often by who's in them, which artist is is most talented. And you know, I was having trouble deciding, but I ended up going with because they influenced my entire high school career and then some. Is Green Day. Trey Cool would be my drummer hands down. Because he can play basic and complicated. He can play fast, slow. Okay. I am most on board with you regarding Flea. Okay. Because Flea is just... He's so versatile. He's great. And I love funk bass. He knows knows how to work a bass. He knows the intricacies of it. Definitely. He he, he teaches. Yes. He's really, really good. I'm going to say I like Trey. Trey does have a little bit of range. Um, I think he could have done better. Yeah, not I'm gonna, not I'm not knocking Green that. Day. I love Green Day, but there are better drummers out there. But it's and, not always about what you want that's best. I feel Trey Cool would have fit with this composition better than a lot of other drummers. You know who? Uh, well, let's go with mine, and I'll start with my drummer, Travis Barker. Travis Barker has worked across See, a he was ton my, uh, of different genres. genres. It's true. Uh, Blink 182. He is a monster on the drums, and you can, especially because they pay, play the same five chords <laughs> for all of their songs. Travis is what brought Blink 182 into the forefront because he's just ridiculous. He plays slow, fast. He's inventive. People cannot reproduce what he plays on drums for some of his songs, and he has a range. He does a lot of different types of music. He's uh, worked in compilations with a bunch of people. Um, on bass, I was thinking Mike Dern. 
Okay. From because purely because the song uh, Longview by Green Day and his bass in there is just so back and forth, and he did great with Green Day, and he really brought that band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he was with it from the original, and I I love Mike. For my lead guitar, I gotta go with Hendrix because I grew up on Hendrix, and he's just amazing and knows how to play. You give him two strings. Uh, tape between a shoebox and a piece of metal and he'll just bring harmonies that nobody can hear and his rhythm I thought to truly back him up Jack White from uh, the White Stripes because he he's a lead guitarist who only plays rhythm hmm. that's what the White, White Stripes were and I think he really would actually compliment Hendrix because you were talking about some of the earlier guys I was thinking about like Santana I wanted to include Santana but Santana doesn't do rhythm the same way and I think would actually screw up my whole lineup. Okay, for me, I'm going to just refrain from spouting off names for the first couple minutes here. First off, do you think that both of your artists would blend together? Well, he hadn't finished. Let him at least say singer, and then we'll get on. And I think, okay, my singer, and I think this is where it gets truly odd. This is definitely be controversial. (laughs) Bruce. Springsteen? Yeah. I think, no, 1976 Thunder Road Bruce. Singing with these guys, I think would do great. I almost see it with Hendrix. Almost. Um, who is your drummer again there? The drummer from Blink. Travis, Travis. Barker. Nah. Nah, you lost me there. And your bassist? Mike Dirt from Green Day. Nope. Don't get to work. <laughs> Those guys can't keep up with Jimi Hendrix. And no, no, no. Even, it, it, okay. I, I have to say not even Bruce Springsteen, to be honest. Because Bruce Springsteen is going to talk right over them. So, no, I think it would work. I think it would work because I think I think people uh, uh, like Billy Joe uh, working to, with say, Mike. I think you just took a lot of genres and threw them together there. I don't think it's gonna. No, it's too it's not well. really even a lot of genres. It's like, it's two genres. It's classic rock and very and punk and punk. That's two genres. Ah. Those two really, really different genres, <laughs> and also not really. No, 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 they're not that different. And not even say, you know, Jimi Hendrix. Even though it classic, he stands rock, like a sore thumb. He to almost me. is, yeah, too much for the rest of it. I like I should so. just get rid of him. He, he's almost even another couple genres in himself. Yeah, because he he's got some blues he in there. Plays, he plays. I mean, that's why he never. He was always Jimi Hendrix. Like he was a standalone because he's just this huge talent, and he so much variety in his sound. Like, almost that's why I was kind of afraid to put Freddie Mercury in my band. Because Freddie Mercury sings, I mean, he sings country. He sings classic uh, rock. Ha, ha, ha. He sings but, all sorts of but stuff. But just to bring Queen into the mix, I'm down with that a lot more so because of the fact that Queen was a very, very inventive that's band true. outside of simply Freddie Mercury's voice. That's true. Sure, he was like the icing and the cake, but everything else just, you know, flows together so well that I think there's a lot of uh, variety to be had from that lineup. Well, uh, another one bites the dust and crazy that, little thing called love. That, uh, and, that's and country right there, crazy little yeah. Thing versus love. and then you have like Fat Bottom Girls and of course like Bohemian Rhapsody and We Are the Champions. Like they were all different sounds. That's, oh. that's my point. So especially with a you know a creative basis well, like I'm, Flea, Flea could do a lot with Freddie Mercury's. Book. I'm sorry that Jimi Hendrix is too much for my band. I'm sorry, I, I went think, to the top. I just top. think it's a little unrealistic. Okay, fine, fine. I'll start. I'll, I'll look at the secondary guitar. This is why I, I. This is why I confess. I'm. I'm not too prepared here in terms of uh, delivering off. Um, I, I can. I can give you talents, sure, and I can give you 
suspected options, you know, collaborations, perhaps. Okay. Un- unthinkable collaborations that might just work. Okay. But I can't give you a full band, because the combinations of those those aspects are just going to yield fair. a mess. I mean, truthfully, perhaps. this concept and originality was like, as a five-year-old, to go, well, what if Superman fought Goku and fought Batman? I mean, you know, yeah. this is just, I took five artists of and course, said, this is, threw them together. That's exactly what it's this a, is. It's a juvenile fantasy. Right. But it's a fun thing to talk about. Get and Monty Python and the Holy Grail of Black Knight. You know, it's the ultimate yeah. showdown. <laughs> but, um, but also, I think a lot of our... A lot of our preconceptions, especially with putting something like this together, is is a result of especially the modern genrefication of music and how what was rock at one point, even ten years ago, may not be the same as what's rock now. You know, and that metal has eighteen different categories. Now. Okay, here's a thought. Rock is dead. I, I don't think there's rock anymore. I, I hate that. No, no, no. Statement. No, I don't I think disagree. rock's dead. Uh, I don't think. But but then again, what is rock? You got to get to the core of the definition. What is rock? Do it's you an adjective. Rock? No, that's all it is. It's yeah, like, it's, it's an, an adjective. adjective. It's not even. An it doesn't anymore. mean what it used to anymore. I don't think. But I don't think it's dead because there are bands who. I think that the problem is in a modern day is that instead of just having hip hop, we have nerdcore. We have you know you know dancier hip hop, which I can't think of. A name for you know, or even like in metal. There's new metal, love metal, euro metal, um, black death, metal, sure. death metal, death metal, and then uh, Scandinavian yeah, death, death metal, metal. and then German that, Scandinavian is, is death metal. All of that industrial rock. metal is all of that rock at its core, or has it evolved well, too all, far to you know? If you go back enough, you're going to find Gregorian chant. <laughs> I mean, like. No, of course. I don't know. It's it's tough. Like on on the one note, I hate genreification because. I feel like at this point we could put every song on the album we listen to today in a different genre. And 10, 10 or 15 years ago you couldn't have done that. Well, they'd probably be grouped by four. <laughs> but my point yeah. is is that there's too much variety now. It's where in the 70s and the 60s there was only a handful of genres and they kind of lumped stuff together. And I think we, we well, need to find a middle I'm, ground. I'm not down on variety. I think variety is, is the probably one of, of the best things. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> to go to the cliched rap. But I, I think it's one of the most important things ever to happen to music because a lot of artists can sometimes feel too constrained and that will be their undoing. Yeah. At least in today's society. I don't know. Maybe we just have we're a bunch of people with ADD. That could be it. Well, then you have like the MTV Music Awards. Best R&B album. Who gets in that category? Yeah, is it the yeah. is it the guy who did the kind of sucky but all R and B album, or the guy that did two or three R and B songs that were amazing, but it's actually more pop and punk than anything else? Hmm. How, how do you define? Are you a, a, a punker? Are you a rapper? Are you because look at a band that I actually love, and I've mentioned them a few times, and they're in a few articles. Flowbots. Sure. Flowbots are a rap R and B. Rock with violins. I mean, it's a really weird band. They do sounds intricate. Yeah, <laughs> well, very intricate. You gotta listen to them. They do a lot of very uh, rock beats with like heavy duty Eminem. Okay, but Eminem style rap. That's beat. more of a clear cut and dry sort of thing. Like I feel like that is almost definitely the fusion of two types of genres. Right. But now. every song's still a little bit different. There's there's songs with just piano and violin. And it's it's still rap singing. It's all rap right. singing, but each genre is kind but, of represented. But, but, but well, most of you know alternative bands coming out today, or at least a, a sizable portion of alternative bands, is proving is that 
various genres are kind of losing their their steam. I suppose they're not really holding up. It's it's too simple to just put it in one box. Yeah, well, it's too simple. Like, I don't think anybody... we, we are too comfortable with the ideas of jazz versus rock versus classical versus metal. Um. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, one of the bands I feel like that blends closely to the Flowbots and. And also, though, definitely sticks to one genre, but they dabble with a lot of other things, is the Gorillas. The Gorillas have this great kind of, in their guitar work and their bass work and their drum work especially, they have this very kind of classic rock sound, but then they mix hip-hop in there, and then they have dance tracks as well. I mean, it helps that most of and the I band agree with is that, one but see, guy. See, look how you're describing it. Like, you're describing it only in terms of the other things that you know. Yeah. But really... Or, or is it could Gorilla be a genre simply of its own. a brand new, you know... Well, if anything, they're R&B rap. With all these other genres mixed in. Like, uh, they have rock. They have... There's too little rap even to call them rap, to be honest. But they always no. have, like, a rap flow. No, he's and... right. The big singles always have a very rap flow, but if you listen to the full albums, it leans more towards Blur's version of Alternative, and that's because the lead singer of Blur writes and records a lot of the Gorilla's stuff. It leans a lot more towards that kind of alternative sound. I mean, they try and include a lot of hip-hop and R&B, but it does. It really does lead more towards that. What? And uh, Blur also did kind of break genres, too. But then you have to talk about Plastic Beach, which I heard a lot of R&B and hip-hop into it. Yeah. So you can't say they're only one or the other, and that's the biggest problem with genres. They did... Rock albums, they did rap albums, they did R&B albums, they did hip-hop, they did punker, they did all. But I think... What kind of a band are they? But I think the Gorillas are more like that because they're... It's mostly the lead singer. And they do a lot of collaborations. And then... And I keep saying the lead singer of Blur because I can't think of his name now. Um, But... I think that that's... That's why it's kind of all over the place because he does most of the production himself and a lot of the writing himself and then he brings other artists on to help with it and it's killing me that I can't remember his name but I'm sure someone will correct me oh yeah please please tell us who this is if anything do tell us but um and it kills me because I love Blur and I I used to remember his name but I'm on the spots and I can't remember um but it's it's kind of weird uh like you were saying, we we got a, a lot of really different guys in our in our super bands, and obviously we don't know if they're going to work or not. But with this new blending, don't you think you can see like my choice, which was a couple of different things put together? Okay, th- don't you th- think that, now that's that a good point? Based on that, anything is possible. Yeah. absolutely anything is possible. So Hendrix suppose... and Bruce with you know Trey Cool, you know on drums, you don't yeah. think that could possibly work? Yeah. I guess. What it comes down to is this is all speculation anyway, so no one will really know for sure. These personality, you know, they could have... I mean, honestly, a good example of the Dream Band and collaboration, actually, is Carlos Santana's last two records. Because he doesn't sing anymore, really. He plays guitar, he has his own band, and he brings on singers. And I love that. I love... I think it was his first album that he did that, which had uh, Rob Thomas on it when he did Smooth with Carlos Santana. I think that's a great example of a fusion of pop and classic rock, and I think it's a great collaboration. I think that they did a really good job with that. you know. And there are other songs on that, like Everlast did a song with Car- Carlos Santana also that was more hip-hop influenced. And I just think that, I think more than this concept of the dream band, collaborations are really interesting, 
and collaborations the are inevitably, inevitably what form new genres themselves. Absolutely. Well, perfect. A, a good example, which I don't, I know you, Steve, did not hear any of this, and we've talked about it. I know me and Matt both loved this. Was the Linkin Park Jay Z combo? Yeah. Which was a great album. They complimented themselves. Right. They, they complimented took, they, each other really well. They took the best songs of both and and brought them together, and they actually produced a good combination. All right, I, I'm I'm not discounting that. Well, you're to gonna be, I'm gonna be giving you a lot of music. You're gonna be you're giving gonna get homework. Back. You're gonna yes. yes. <laughs> I want you on YouTube looking up all the videos well, too. I, I think at some point I'm gonna have to mention some names to you and ask you exactly where you would put them. Because if you were, <laughs> if you're if you're able to put gorillas in an R and B rap category, I mean, for one the album, the fact is, again, we're just too comfortable with the the rigid genreification. The thing is, rap. You know, if you go way back, rap would. Would really not entail too much singing. Right. You may have a singing chorus, and it would be brief at best. But it's really about verses, long verses of mm-hmm. rhyming and actual... poetry, and not necessarily rhyming, exactly. but poetic. And it version. does not have to be melodic. It can be just uh, syncopated at best. Yeah, right. I don't know. What, but... I don't know what either of those two mean. <laughs> the put only them in, music put them in English, because if I'm going, I don't, I don't know. Then the rest of the people listening, are go... it has a cadence to it. Okay, that's closer. Closer. Yeah. Closer. All right. Defining uh, <laughs> words with words here. I, I think the the, the most the obvious thing is that genrefication is a double edged sword. While we sometimes feel like we don't have enough variety, we still have sometimes we have too much variety. And I think that there's there's no real middle ground, and we could speculate back and forth. I mean, it's personal preference. I think honestly, I think what it is actually now we think less in genres, not more. Because as Steve pointed out, define a band. You could take three albums like the Gorillas, three albums, and each one fits in a different genre. Well, and honestly, I think that's the future of music. I think artists are going to work more towards experimenting with different sounds per album. I that, think that's fueled mostly by youth than anything else. Yes, because youth, agreed. a youth will always want to come up with something that is a little bit different and edgy or push the bar beyond what their ancestors did. But at the same time, I think more established bands like Green Day and Weezer. Weezer has done a couple of more interesting albums recently. They... Like, I, like I've said previously, they never really changed, but their sound is kind of changing. They did, uh, uh, in Ratitude, it was a little more club-oriented singing and beats, as opposed to the more alternative they did in the beginning. Um, as opposed, like each, you could look at the Red Album, the Green Album, the Blue Album, which spans their career, and they're three very, very different albums. Uh, Green Day's done that as well. Blink has done that as well. And these are bands I grew up with, and they've basically tried to reinvent themselves. They know how to adapt to the times. Or if anything, it has nothing to do with the times. They know how to, oh, how oh. to advance their sound because they themselves are changing. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always work. Right. And the best point, the best thing you could say is this new Maroon 5 album represents that. Where you tried, you tried to do a new sound and didn't know what the hell you were That's doing. That's the thing, because you're straddling two different types of audiences. You're yeah. straddling the type that always wants something new. They can't stand when something Pop is repeated. Pop is always about because, the newest thing. Yeah. And That's why artists have the such other a life cycle. type life of cycle. audience, which gets into niches. And when they find their niches, they are settled there. Yeah. They believe that is the ultimate, right? And when you don't achieve that bar, then you might as well have just produced... Yeah, it's a fine line you're walking, especially pop, pop wholeheartedly is what's the new thing. I mean, for years in our childhood, because we're all around the same age, 
pop music was Backstreet Boys. It was NSYNC. It was a boy band or a girl solo singer that just did your basic... Spice Girls. They were a boy band with girl girls. solo singers. But that's what I'm saying is, for a good part, portion of the 90s, that was pop music. Now, it's very different. It's very dance and techno influenced. It's very much solo artists, not full groups. And it's very much about children singing. And I don't mean that there's actual kids singing, but I'm talking... You have to have a 15, a 16, a 17, 18-year-old actually doing the pop. Otherwise, they're just too old. Which is ridiculous. We're going in the opposite direction. For some strange reason, youth is now becoming more well, important than experience. They're trying to get people who will buy the albums for many, many, many years Many to years. That's the idea, yeah. And it's not going to work, though. That's because true. it's already you're already seeing well, pop sensations it, it, from too two years. It's too, people who were popular two years ago are already in the back burners because it's too presumptuous. Because that that assumes that they can shape young people's minds. Where really young people are gonna they're gonna get sources from everywhere, right? They're not just going to live and die by what the producer tells them. And I want to disagree only because there's a very good example of how your age doesn't always matter, and that some fans will stick by a pop group if they like that music. The best example of that right now is New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Their back. newest album sold better than any of their other albums. And all the people listening to it are in their 40s and 50s. Because they're doing what they did. And those people still like it. There are anomalies to everything. But I think popular pop artists, which is kind of redundant, <laughs> at the time, for new fans, will always be changing. But that doesn't mean that those fans won't stick by those bands once they're hooked. True. And it doesn't mean that it's the end for that genre either. It doesn't mean yeah. that just because you sell out, you know, you're really killing the genre in any way. That, that's a very narrow-minded well, there's way no, of viewing it. For there's instance, no band that truly make a, has ever made or broken a genre. Pop just borrows In the last five, yeah, ten Yeah, borrows years. from it. everything. Pop just borrows from I mean, And it evolves when, when you, from what look it at, I made this point in the very first podcast that, that in the 1920s, right, there was... Scores of pop out because you know the phonograph was new. Right. So because of that, you just get all these you know one hit wonders sometimes, and mostly what they used was jazz. Jazz was pop back then. It was used as pop because it was the newest craze. Well, you can even say that jazz, a band like the Beatles, who many will argue actually changed music, they were influenced by Eastern sound. They were influenced heavily by blues and jazz. Definitely. And they didn't truly create something unique. They created something different by adapting previous music. And that's why I think Beatles is one of the greatest bands ever. And go figure, they're pop. That's yeah. pretty, that's yeah, pretty crazy. And that, that, that's what it all pop. boils down to, is yeah. that that kind of stuff is just not happening. So right about now. 40 years in retrospect, they... You just need to you need to last forty years, <laughs> and then the music comes back. Oh, I doubt we'll be remembering some of today's pop in forty years. <laughs> Probably, but that's a discussion for another day. And we always okay. seem to get into the most interesting stuff at the end of our podcast. But we'll definitely, I think that we should keep track of this, and we'll definitely go into more about genre and pop music, especially in the future, because there are some pop records that I want to talk about. We're definitely going to dedicate a future podcast to the Beatles because I think they deserve a full podcast for sure. And the king of pop, Michael Jackson, Jackson. because I mean. Steve was talking about this earlier, just quickly to wrap up. He listened to Thriller the other day, and, and some of Michael Jackson's biggest pop songs, and they hold up. They're solid. Thriller, I still stand by, as one of the greatest pop records ever made. And I have many it reasons just, to testify to that account. But that's something to get into later. Thank you again so much for listening. Please email comments, questions to 
crashchordsblog at gmail.com. Please post comments with your dream band. I'm so curious to know what fans think of their dream band is. Are they going to include Katy Perry or Madonna yeah. or any of these artists that I didn't even think to include? And we'll be getting back to that topic. Definitely. Sure. I want to definitely it, talk it, about it It's an again. endless discussion and it needs a lot of uh, honing. I know, I know. My singer will be Scary Spice. You've had your turn. You've had your turn. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, no, no. One last thing, because I wanted to talk about this, because it actually is coming into effect. Um, we talked about Paul McCartney's doing the opening ceremonies. I just have to say, we got the Who and the Spice Girls doing the closing ceremonies, and when that album comes out, that's gonna we be interesting. have to talk about it. Yeah, that's interesting. The Who and Spice Girls. It's London. Yes. yes. That's just that's, that's a given. I mean, London equals... That, that, that puts... The middle-aged people and the younger people in the, you know, that's the audience. That's it. That's it. That is who will be at the show. Thank you, guys. And, of course, as always, music is life and life is good.